Welcome back, everybody, to another day of the Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful. Hope everything is going absolutely fantastic with you. We have a wonderful show to jump into, so let's get into our first story, which is a good piece of news. Mm. Let's dive in. The Respect for Marriage Act has been passed in the Senate, which is the biggest hurdle. Now it is expected to pass uh, in the House, and then Biden will sign it into law. We'll get into the specifics of this. Of course, the uh, the general goal of this is to protect interracial and same-sex marriage, and Republicans more than I think I would have expected went along with it, but we'll get into maybe why that was in a second here, but first, this is it uh, passing in the Senate. Sir, 61, the nays are 36. Uh, the bill, as amended, has passed. Mr. President, what a great day. What a great day. Okay. That was Chuck Schumer's voice there uh, saying what a great day, which I think anytime we can get proper action from our government, we should at least have a little bit of a celebration. Mm. But I do need to address something about this that I think is being misunderstood from people and is actually unfortunately making this not as good news as it could be. And what I mean by that is even myself and I am aggravated about this didn't make a clear specification partly because I don't think I was read in enough on this specification earlier on in the conversations about this bill, that this is not protecting federal same-sex marriage and interracial marriage by uh, making it required to be legal in states nationwide. That's not what it's doing. So it's not doing the same thing that the case uh, or cases in the Supreme Court do, which is to say, as a state, you do not have the constitutional right to say that uh, same-sex marriage is illegal in your state, okay? So if Obergefell, for example, were to be overturned in the Supreme Court, states could still make same-sex marriage illegal. As I've talked about, the reason why I gave less attention to interracial marriage is because even the furthest right governments in this modern United States we live would not make that illegal. So I think we can set that aside right now. But with same-sex marriage, many states absolutely would make that illegal if Obergefell uh, was overturned. And so, again, the way this is talked about leaves that out. It's still good. It's still the correct action, and it's still uh, protecting the rights of people by federally recognizing any marriages within states that that type of marriage is legal, if that makes sense. So, as long as there are states in our country that allow same-sex marriage, which now there always will be, um, all of the blue states and some of the red states, the federal government recognizes any of the marriages that come out of those and any of the marriages that were done in a state when it was legal, um, which is still significant. But let's read about this. Uh, this is from CNN kind of making this specification. Let's start with the positive. Republicans and Democrats are coming together to protect same-sex marriage from the Supreme Court. The Respect for Marriage Act codifies marriages and uh, came a bit came about amid worries among Democrats that the same conservative majority on the Supreme Court that took away the right to abortion will target same-sex marriage in the future. And Clarence Thomas did uh, indicate that. The version that came uh, overcame a filibuster in the Senate passed the Senate Tuesday. A dozen Republican senators from across the country voted with Democrats before Thanksgiving to limit debate and move forward uh, a final vote. And then, as I mentioned, it'll go to the House and likely pass and then to Joe Biden. First, the bill does not require all states to allow same-sex marriage, even though that is the current reality under the 2015 Obergefell versus Hodges decision. Rather, if the Supreme Court overturned Obergefell and previous state prohibitions on same-sex marriage came back into effect, the Respect for Marriage Act would require states and the federal government to respect marriages conducted in places where it uh, is legal. So does that kind of make sense? If you got married in a state that changes the law, your marriage stands and we have to recognize as we should of course uh and it should be every single state but if at some point it went back to where some states is illegal some states is legal the federal government is recognizing the marriages that come from uh the states that it's legal in and so i guess in theory the unfortunate compromise will be to get married in a state where it's legal and then you'll have your marriage recognized federally but not in the state in which you live necessarily or or that is not uh, legal in your state to do right so reading this understanding this definitely bothered me because i was 
uh, hoping for a day where the Supreme Court decision becomes irrelevant because the federal government uh, completely across the board protects people's right to get married with who uh, they choose. Mm. That has not happened. And so we need to continue to fight uh, to make sure that it does eventually. But that also makes clear why Republican senators were able to get on board with this um, and why it was able to get passed. With that being said, there are some things that uh, protect religious views, and that was kind of a sticking point for Republicans. And so let's look at that for a second. Republican supporters have emphasized the elements in this Senate version that protect nonprofit and religious organizations from having to provide support for same-sex marriages. Uh, quote, I'll be supporting the substitute amendment because it will ensure our religious freedoms are upheld and protected. One of the bedrocks of our democracy, said West Virginia Senator Shelley Moore, uh, Moore Capito, in a statement after helping break the filibuster. So now you see, okay, it wasn't quite making sense. Why did this many Republicans get on board and be able to overcome the filibuster to pass something protecting uh, something that so much of the Republican Party has stood against for so long? Well, it's because it now protects the right for entities to, in part, if it's based on their religious beliefs, discriminate against people on the basis of sexual orientation and not be required to uh, provide services for gay marriages, for example. So that's where things stand. There's still more to be done. Hopefully the Supreme Court case won't be overturned, um, but it still is a good move and it still is impactful in people's lives. I challenge you for what we're about to watch. I challenge you to get through this entire video <laughs> without laughing. Already You've know. already lost. <laughs> ben already knows who we're talking about and he's already laughing. Okay, so we're gonna watch a clip of Hersha Walker. If you don't laugh while we watch this, um, put it in the comment and you'll get a reward from the show of nothing. How could we possibly <laughs> do that? Um, of our respect. Here's Herschel Walker talking, and then we have a few more clips of him as well, about border security and something, something else. Okay, ready? <laughs> border security. And I'm security border. They said, how are you going to do that? I said, well, I can do it then. You mean put up a wall, a wall to work, wall working around your house. When you got a wall around your house, people don't do it. Yeah, but they can get in. But you know what? They get in, it'll be hard to get out. Because I got a dog that, well, my dog really won't bite, but he put it bad anyway. But anyway, this is what I want to tell you. What we got to do right <laughs> now, this is one of the most important elections we can ever have in our lifetime. And I'm <laughs> So, so makes no sense. <laughs> so here's um from the possible next senator from Georgia, hopefully not. <laughs> his idea. We should build a border wall because <laughs> because border walls work to protect people's houses. Guys, that shows a little bit of his wealth, I guess. How many people have walls around their house? Not too <laughs> not, many. Not very many. And then the reason why that's a good idea is because it works for a house, but then he realizes it doesn't work to keep people out, but it works to keep them in because my dog will attack them, but my dog doesn't attack them, but my dog is bad, but this is an important election. Now, I've gotten good at translating Herschel Walker, so if you didn't get any of that, don't blame yourself. Um, but that's what he was saying. But the whole point is you guys don't like immigration and immigrants staying in the United States. So saying that a border wall is good because when you use a wall to protect your house, it doesn't keep people from getting in, but it keeps them from getting out. That's the opposite of what the, <laughs> you're trying to say. And uh, also... That is very much a faulty wall you have there. <laughs> it's one of those one-way gates, you know, but it lets people in but not out. <laughs> and the robber can get in but then can't get out. And you're like, ha-ha, you're stuck here with me and my dog. But he won't attack you. But he won't attack you, or but maybe. he is bad. <laughs> and also, ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the most important elections in the history of our country. <laughs> That's how he ends it. It's so good. Uh, here's another moment of him saying that he's... 220 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. And all of a sudden, because of the blessing of God, because of his grace, 
he got me to go to the University of Georgia. And uh, yeah, no, because of his grace, he got me to win a Heisman Trophy. And you know, I ran with some of the fastest people in the world. And guys, I'm 220 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. So I, I ran some of the fastest people in the world. And I did all these incredible things. So I have one more clip and then we'll respond because this connects to an incredible ad that Raphael Warnock released kind of on that subject about his sex appeal now, um, <laughs> about the way that Herschel Walker's campaigning, which is to say the reason you should vote me in is because I'm a famous football player and I did all these amazing things athletically. What? And you'll see the ad, it's so good, but just wait, because this is another moment where he kind of talks about uh, his, his prowess in the athletic arena. Because I'm going to tell you, as my offensive lineman told me, they said, Herschel, you follow me, I'm going to take you to the promised land. And I'm telling all you, you vote for me, we all get to the promised land. Because if we don't get there together, none get there at all. And that's what I want to tell you right now. I'm with you because you're my family. I don't care what the color of your skin are. You're my family, and I learned from my parents to protect my family. So don't worry. You're under my cover right now. And God is a good God. God bless you guys. Thank you guys. Okay, that was not his athletic prowess. Sorry. That was him talking about, uh, I guess, the offensive line story connects to his time. But there you saw him <laughs> saying uh, in the first clip, I got my clips mixed up, but uh, you saw him saying, oh, my goodness. I did all these things. A lot of the things he'll say is I've run with the fastest people mm -hmm. and competed with the best athletes. Yes. And it's like, that's cool. I love that for you. And what does that have to do with you being a senator? And that's what Raphael Warnock uh, highlights beautifully in this ad. If the race between me and my opponent were out here, I could understand why you might choose him. If it were here, of course. But this campaign is about who's ready to represent Georgia. And when it comes to that, I'm proud to be leading the fight to cap the cost of insulin, to make sure our military has safe housing, and to stop the big banks from ripping off consumers. I'm Raphael Warnock, and I'm running for Georgia. That's why I approve this message. I mean, come on. That was, that was How can so, you not like that? Yeah. Uh, so it's an accurate point, because so much of Herschel Walker's speeches and uh, uh, his campaign centers around him being this incredible accomplished individual in the arena of athletics but again that can be a fact i know about you and you could still be a good senator but you have to say here's some random cool things about me but then here's why i would be a good senator and that's what he has no capability of doing mm -hmm. and i love that Raphael warnock's making that clear at least putting in people's heads don't just vote for someone because you remember them being a good football player or we see in so many other settings outside of this race just celebrities being floated for no reason other than I know their last name really well, which is very, very strange, <laughs> but important race in Georgia, and we are just days away. This is an incredible takedown of Fox News, of much of the right wing that I'm about to show you, put together by The Daily Show uh, with Trevor Noah. Absolutely disturbing, actually, but also accurate. So what they do, and I'll just read you the way that they titled this tweet when they sent out this video. Everyone agrees Nick Fuentes should not be having dinner with Trump. He should have a show on Fox News. That's what they titled it. And what is being highlighted in the video I'm about to show you is things that Nick Fuentes has said, well-known white supremacist, Holocaust denier, same person that Donald Trump had dinner with and can't denounce after the fact, and then sets it next to things that have gotten said, have been said on Fox News. And they are oddly, oddly similar. And so it shows you the largest conservative network, the most significant voice of the conservative movement in the media being Fox News, and some of the most popular leaders, including Tucker Carlson, and it shows Republican senators and many others, are saying things just in a slightly more dog whistly way that are similar to what Nick Fuentes and out and out fascist he wants a dictatorship so he can oppress people and these are things he's down with he said i'm not characterizing this at all unfairly he has called himself you know someone who wants a dictatorship and white people need to rise up to protect themselves or whatever um 
take a look at this great job from the daily show you know they say about america they say diversity is our strength how precisely is diversity our strength you got to recognize the fact that this is a godless country I hate it. You're right. They're godless. That is exactly right. I never talk like that, but it's true. Black people are violent, you know? They have chaos and violence in their in their uh, communities. Send the military into these black neighborhoods, make the streets safe. They'll complain about it. It, it doesn't It doesn't matter. We should send in the troops if necessary to restore order. Well, not with the Jim Crow stuff. Who cares? Oh, they had to drink out of a different water fountain. Big fucking deal. Oh, the legacy of Jim Crow. That was 67 years ago. It is ancient history now. Russia. Who, can we give a round of applause for Russia? And why shouldn't I root for Russia? Because Which I am. The fundamentals of our worldview. The society where boys and girls get married as teenagers and start having kids. We need these ladies to get married. And it's time to fall in love and just settle down, guys. Go put a ring on it. And they have big families and a high birth rate. We have to do something to increase our birth rate or the vacuum that's created will be filled by people that don't believe in our values. We live in a big Middle Eastern bazaar. We're a big fucking Middle Eastern bazaar with people sitting on blankets and selling cockroaches on sticks. We have a moral obligation to admit the world's poor, they tell us, even if it makes our own country poorer and dirtier and more divided. And white people are done being bullied discriminating against and denigrating just denigrating white people trump's got to get in there and never leave elect trump one more time and then stop having elections president for life that sounds good maybe we're gonna have to try it president for life. i mean Nothing even has to be said. I'll say something because that's literally what I do here, but <laughs> nothing has to. That says it all. Of course, there's a difference between mainstream Republicans and Nick Fuentes. Yes, but too many of the very popular, there's a huge difference to be clear, uh, but too many of the very popular figures and some of the central individuals in the MAGA movement specifically are saying very similar things to Nick Fuentes. They just wrap it up in a little bit more of uh, plausible deniability. That's it. Tucker Carlson, after uh, Fuentes is raging on about immigrants in a very uh, disturbing way, then it cuts to the clip of Tucker Carlson where he's saying, these immigrants are going to make our country poorer and dirtier. And we've talked about how just statistically that's not even true, the data doesn't bear that out. But also from a human standpoint that is so uh, vile. Mm. And so that's scary. That's what we could get closer and closer to as a country. And it's why people used the, uh, use the fascist word because the only time you prevent fascism is before it's completely occurred, right? And so we're seeing too many indicators in a particular part of the right wing of an ambition for that type of world and it's very scary it's very dangerous as a reminder it's not just trump saying very similar things where he goes oh we should try that in the united states president for life meaning dictator meaning him um and tucker carlson and uh, tom cotton and fox news hosts otherwise but also marjorie green went to nick fuentes's little afpac event shook hands with him gave a speech she knew what this event was. This is pretty much the white nationalist version of uh, CPAC. It's just they didn't feel like CPAC was radical enough, I guess. <laughs> and this was when Marjorie Green appeared at that, I think in, there we go, 2022. But thanks to him, we are honored, we are humbled and excited to welcome to the stage right now for our first speech. And we love to get to know her much better. I think this is going to be the beginning of something great. The representative from Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene. For our podcast listeners, she's coming out, she's shaking hands, she'll uh, tap, pat them, you know, and having just a jolly old time.
Well, hello, canceled Americans. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to say it. I'm going to go out and say it, everyone. I am pro cancel culture for white nationalists. I'm for it. I don't care. <laughs> I'm a brave person who can say cancel the white nationalists. Uh, guys, you don't go to a KKK rally and say afterwards, oh no, I didn't know what they stood for. <laughs> Same thing, Marjorie Taylor Greene. You don't go to AFPAC and then after, which is what she did, she went, I didn't know her new friend as well. Stop it. You have staff members. I know they did some oppo, not oppo, a background research on Nick Fuentes and on the event that you were speaking at. Again, if I got a little email from kkk.net at gmail.com, <laughs> would you like to speak? I would say no. I want to go, oh, I speak anywhere. Who knows who this is, okay? It's not that hard to understand. And this is what too much of the right-wing movement has become, and it's dangerous. Tucker Carlson. Gosh, Every time I talk about him, my soul dies a little bit. Um, he went after Pete Buttigieg. And just watch. He's, he's saying that Pete Buttigieg is horrible, I guess, because he lied about being gay. And he, doesn't, he didn't even want to say that he was gay for some time. And I'll give you the background on this, but first look at this buffoon uh, talk. Pete Buttigieg, of course, couldn't pass, pass up a moment like this. So he's responding to the shooting at the Club Q LGBTQ nightclub and saying Pete Buttigieg couldn't pass up a moment like this to, and then you'll see. Pass up a moment like this. It's not like Pete Buttigieg wants to talk about how things are going over at the transportation department, which he supposedly runs. Short answer, not well. No, Pete Buttigieg wants to talk about identity. He always wants to talk about identity. And the funny, ironic thing is, until just a few years ago, Buttigieg wouldn't even admit that he was gay. He hid that and then lied about it for reasons he has never been asked to explain. Why not? But whatever. Now he is happy to use his sexual orientation as a cudgel to bash you repeatedly in the face into submission. Quote. What? So uh, he's just, you know, uh, we can even watch him condemning the uh, attack. This is, this is Pete Buttigieg bashing people in the face. Here's the latest. If you're a politician or media figure who sets up the LGBTQ community to be hated and feared, not because any of us have ever harmed you, but because you find it useful, then don't you dare act surprised when this kind of violence follows. Don't you dare act surprised. Don't you dare. All right, fair enough, we won't dare. So the reason why Pete Buttigieg rightfully calling out anti-LGBTQ people for being to blame for an event where a bunch of LGBTQ people got killed and the shooter is being charged uh, or was charged and being tried on hate crimes. The reason why he shouldn't call that out is because he didn't say he was gay. What he's talking about, the era that he talk, he's talking about is when uh, Pete Buttigieg was in the military and there was a long-standing policy of you don't say that, which was Again, weird that we're encouraging people to hide who they are in that type of setting. Mm. But also, guess what, Tucker? People get to choose when they share certain details of their life with the world. That's up to them. Mm. And him waiting, deciding at this point now I want to come out for whatever reason is completely up to him. And it's not him lying. Okay. But this is Tucker Carlson's job. This is what he serves to do with the massive platform he has. It's to tell people, if you have the slightest of hearts pumping in there and you feel some sort of regret, some sort of sadness for the fact that the movement you're a part of and the rhetoric that you've heard from all the people you love and follow probably got people killed. If you are starting to get a little bit concerned about that, here's a bunch of distractions. No, you're, you don't have to think about it. That's Tucker Carlson's job. It's to spread lies, it's to attack people, all these things so that his viewers in these types of settings, um, on these types of subjects, don't have to contend with any part of their ideology that is broken, that is wrong, and that is hateful. Mm. And so, I guess, to his credit, he's really good at doing that in the most dishonest way possible. And that's what we see night after night on his show. Democrats are better 
for the economy. This is a fact that has been looked into so many times, proved true so many times over the last, since World War II, and yet is not understood by way too many people, and the opposite is believed by most of America. When you poll people, even a lot of Democrats, definitely independents and definitely Republicans say, I think the Republican Party is better for the economy. It's just not true. And I've said this on the show before and got people asking me, can you get into the specifics so I know exactly why you say that? Mm. Before we do this, and then we will, um, but I'll just let you know, send this clip to any Republican friend you have so that they can finally get out of their head that somehow magically uh, Republicans are good for the economy, even though it's not uh, borne out in the data. And I'll also say, because I understand the way the economy works, it's not as black and white as people want you to believe in a lot of these political discussions. The president only has so much power. Congress only has so much power over the economy, etc. And we can recognize that. And we can look at how historical events have affected the economy at different times. And on and on we go. That's absolutely worth doing. But the general 30,000 foot question of what does the data show about when a Democratic president's in power, when Democrats are in control and have more influence versus the same for Republicans. And it's just not even, it's not even close as you're gonna see here. So because it's presented nicely, I'm gonna do this through uh, the reading of an op-ed to the New York Times called Why Are Republican Presidents So Bad for the Economy? But then I will be putting in the link, uh, in the link, in the description, some links that you can dive into deeper to look at kind of more of the uh, analysis that's been done of this and this is presented in a way that I can do uh, for YouTube in a nice way. But again, more data will be down in the description if you wanna dive in and fact check what is presented here. Okay, so as this op-ed begins, a president has only limited control over the economy, and yet there has been a stark pattern in the United States for nearly a century. The economy has grown significantly faster under Democratic presidents than Republican ones. It's true about almost any major indicator, gross domestic product, employment, incomes, productivity, even stock prices. It's true if you examine only the precise period when a president is, is in office or instead assume that a president's policies affect the economy only after a lag and don't start his economic clock um, or hopefully someday hers, but for this it's all his, <laughs> until months after he takes office. The gap, quote, holds almost regardless of how you define success Two economists, um, sorry, two ec uh, uh, economics professors at Princeton, Alan Blinder and Mark Watson, right? They describe it as startlingly large and they include some things you can interact with here. And so this article will also be in the description if you want to play around with at different points in presidencies, what the growth in GDP looked like. Since 1933, the economy has grown at an annual average rate of 4.6% under Democratic presidents and 2.4% under Republicans, according uh, to a Times analysis. In more concrete terms, the average income of Americans would be more than double, more than double its current level if the economy had somehow grown at the Democratic rate for all of the past nine decades. Now, even if Democratic presidents were in power all that time, that wouldn't be the case. There's other factors involved. I'm the first to admit that, but I'm saying what we know to be true is Republicans definitely aren't causing great economic realities uh, comparatively. If anything, that period, which is based on data availability, is too kind to Republicans because it excludes the portion of the Great Depression that happened on Herbert Hoover's watch. So that's not even in this analysis, and still this is what we have. Uh, more charts you can interact with there later. The six presidents who have presided over the fastest job growth have all been Democrats, as you can see above. The four presidents who have presided over the slowest growth have all been Republicans. Crazy coincidence, Ben. The big question, of course, <laughs> is why? And there are not easy answers. And then it dives into what I was saying. Economists, um, just so we can get through this, I'll summarize, have wondered, it can't be as simple as just magically a Democrat gets in office and does better. And it's not. Again, I'm saying that time and time again. So if anyone freaks out, um, they're just going to be wrong about it. But uh, it also can be said that all of the variables economists look at to say maybe this is why that's just a coincidence or this or this or this, you combine them all and still it makes up for some of that gap, but not all of it. So it has to be something playing a role with the leadership and policies 
of Democrats. As it continues, still the pattern is so strong and long lasting that coincidence alone is unlikely to be the only explanation. Statistical noise, as Mr. Blender and Mr. Watson wrote in their paper, uh, paper exploring the pattern, does not seem to be the answer. What then are the most plausible theories? And this is the very interesting part. I usually obviously don't just read directly this much, but um, I think this is very educational. First, it's worth rejecting a few unlikely possibilities. Listen up, because I want to hear the most. <laughs> Congressional control is not the answer. The pattern holds regardless of which parties run in Congress, because you'll hear sometimes, oh, well, obviously that's fine, but if you were to look at who had control over Congress, it was good when Republicans were in Congress. Nope, that's not true. <laughs> Deficit spending also doesn't explain the gap. It is not the case that Democrats juice the economy by spending money and then leave Republicans to clean up the mess. Over the last four decades, in fact, Republican presidents have run up larger deficits, larger deficits, <laughs> larger deficits, the party that proclaims to be anti-debt than Democrats. Because that's another one of the things they'll float. Well, obviously the democratic economies do better because they spend money like a drunk sailor, drunken sailor. And uh, that's not even, is that a, okay, no, whatever. Is. Oh, it is, okay, we're good. Um, and so they're all irresponsible for the money. That's gonna make the economy look good, but Republicans gotta come in and be the adult in the room. No, they spent money um, and jacked up the deficits more than Democrats over the last 40 years. That leaves one broad possibility with a good amount of supporting evidence. Democrats have been more willing to heed economic and historical lessons about what policies actually strengthen the economy, while Republicans have often clung to theories that they want to believe, like the supposedly magical power of tax cuts and deregulation. Democrats, in short, have been uh, more pragmatic. So this continues. We'll stop it there. Again, a few things will be below if you want to check it out. Um, we'll even put in the podcast descriptions as well. So everyone who's seeing this, hopefully whatever description box there is, you'll be able to find some more material. Um, but one of the bits of analysis from these uh, uh, economics professors from Princeton that was cited, just a little one sentence to read off of it, they say here in this more uh, extensive 35-page analysis, up front, the answer, while hardly a secret, is not nearly as widely known as it should be. The U.S. economy performs much better when a Democrat is president than when a Republican is. Okay, so the reason we say all this is not because we're needlessly trying to stomp on the grave of bad past Republican presidents, even though <laughs> that's funny. Um, but, and by the grave, I mean like not the actual grave, any, even the alive presidents stomp on the failure of them. Um, <laughs> dance on the grave there we go that's the phrase mm, crushing it but it's to say we need to stop having voters lied to and voting against their own interests because they think it's going to help them economically because i've talked to good good people who say i agree with you on this issue and that issue and this issue but i'm just barely getting by and i need to put in the party that's going to do the best thing for me economically and I'm an economy person. That's what I hear so often. And ever since I got into politics and learned of these types of facts, when I hear that, I instantly have five years knocked off my life. When I hear someone tell me, I agree, the Republican Party's bad in all these ways, but they're good for the economy. I just... <laughs> um, and, and so please share this with people who have that view and understand it yourself get clear on these different uh, figures so that you can hopefully debunk that. Because I think if not only the Democratic Party appears better on all these social issues to most Americans when you poll them and appears more uh, sympathetic to the concerns of working people, mm. but also voters understand that just in their material interest economically, the Democratic Party is the better decision, even though it's not as good as it should be, but economically it is better than the Republican Party, then uh, I think we could see better numbers than we do now last thing because a lot of analysis just takes time to do it and uh also trump's numbers were kind of messed up with COVID a bunch but one of the things i wanted to monk as well is okay whatever all these past republican presidents set those aside but trump something about <laughs> the orange man was magic for the economy now there are some areas where for example the stock market because donald trump cut taxes a lot for the wealthy, which went a lot to 
big corporations and wealthy individuals who have a lot of sway in the stock market. The stock market was pretty happy for a lot of those years under Trump, um, but not at all the level they make it out to be compared to Obama. But let's just look here. One of the things that Donald Trump touts first anytime he's talking about his economic success is jobs numbers. Unemployment was historically low and uh, job growth was wonderful and all of these things. Look at this graph of Obama's presidency and Trump's. And this is what I try to communicate to people so often. It is true that the economy was great under Trump, but it just continued exactly what was gonna happen after Obama. And I'm not saying because Obama was the most incredible thing that ever happened. Whatever the variables were, whether it was some policy related, some just other economic things worldwide, etc., the economy was in a really good place when Trump took over in January of 2017. And it was projected to be heading that direction. And you can see it's linear, guys. If Trump did something that made the economy start growing more and jobs numbers got better, this would go boink because he would have changed that uh, part of our economy. He would have done something that would have changed the direction the economy was going. But you can see there, oh, so he just didn't horribly mess it up for two and a half years or three years, right? Okay. Is that really that big of an economy? Is that what you want to run on? Hey guys, Trump took over a really good economy that was built under a Democratic president and that's why we should vote the Republican president. doesn't make sense anymore, right? Okay, hopefully that is clear and uh, enjoyable slash educational to y'all. Don't let yourself be lied to. Carrie Lake continues to top herself with vile bonkers fill in the blank statements <laughs> now here she does it again as she's trying to challenge the election results in arizona and it's just this horrifying i, I do want people steve in, in your audience to understand that we are working incredibly hard behind the scenes. People are saying, why haven't we seen more? What are you doing? There's a process, there's state statute that we have to follow and we are doing that, but we feel very confident in our case. And I have not given up one scintilla of the fight I have in me. Somebody said, Carrie, you're fearless. And I said, you know, I guess I'm, I'm fearless, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, pause for a second. <laughs> If you watch The Office, that was just like when um, Michael, I can't remember the exact context, but something like, am I a hero? N yes. <laughs> it was like that. You know, someone came to me and uh, it happened to be me in the mirror, but that doesn't matter. Someone came to me and said, Carrie, you're fearless. You're gorgeous. You're wonderful. You impress me every day. And I said, listen, it's not me. No, you're right. Yeah, I am. <laughs> It's so strange. Now, in this difficult time, because what I fear most of all is what happens if we don't step forward and act with courage right now. What we're left with, we will have a shell of our country. We look at what's happening in Brazil and what's happening in China. We'll be looking a lot like China. And I'm not talking about the protests happening now. I'm talking about we'll be enslaved by a globalist system if we don't stand up right now. This is our moment. This is our true moment right now in our history. We will be enslaved by the globalist system. They really want to believe that they're in some unprecedented victimhood moment where all of the powers that be are fighting against the justified, fearless Kerry Lake, and it will take <laughs> whatever action necessary to fight back against the horrible globalists that are trying to enslave us. It's very, very dangerous because if you were to believe that, you start understanding how someone could be more prone to dangerous actions. Um, and then here's her saying that she's, in a, uh, she's on a mission from God to save us from the globalists. God never said this was gonna be easy, Charlie, but he mm -hmm. put us here. He also didn't say you were gonna win. <laughs> here at this moment for a reason. He doesn't make mistakes. He knows that we are the people to fight through this and save our country. I truly believe that. This is not hyperbole. And I think that this election went down the way it did to wake up people. It is our moment right now, Charlie, to prove that we love this country, to prove that we're in it for the fight. Look at Brazil. Look at China. If we don't stand up right now, 
we will become China. And I'm not talking about these heroic people in China. I'm talking about we will become slaves because globalism, that's what it has in mind for us. We become slaves to a system. And we are Americans and we need to stand up and fight every day. I am working hard with my legal team to have the very best case to win. And uh, there's no other choice but to stand up and fight. And if we don't stand up and fight, what are we telling our grandkids and our children? That we don't care about their future? That we care about democracy? Um, okay, so we will be slaves. We will be slaves. She keeps repeating it. And, be, and the only way to prevent that is to fight, 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 fight. We need to stand up and fight is what she keeps saying. Now, as I've said before, in certain settings, most of the time in politics, people use the word fight completely, not literally. We got to fight for our rights. We got to fight for this bill. We got to fight for this election. And that's perfectly fine. But again, as I was saying with a uh, Steve Bannon story, if I'm not mistaken, within the context of the MAGA movement, the reason why you say this is because you've seen what your followers have done before. You've seen what MAGA people stoked up on anger about an election have done before. Mm. And you still choose to say very oddly similar things to what was being said in the build-up to January 6th by all the people claiming that election was stolen. And so none of this is surprising, but it's still scary. In the build-up to the election, we said, look out, Carrie Lake's going to claim if she loses that it was stolen, and that's what's happening. So in that sense, it's very unremarkable, but in the sense of this going against everything that our democracy was built uh, to do, very, very remarkable and very scary. It has been an unfortunate day for Donald Trump. Uh, his ex-chief of staff, Mark Meadows, is now going to have to testify in front of the Georgia grand jury investigating att uh, Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election in um, Georgia. Of course, the very animated moment or uh, the climax of this story is when Trump called Brad Raffensperger and was asking him to find 11,780 votes. Come on, just find me one more than I need. Um, wherever, I don't really care. They don't have to be real votes. Just say that you found them. Okay, so that's what's being investigated, that kind of whole plot. And Mark Meadows was the chief of staff of Trump at this time, so knows every little detail and has been called to testify as is being discussed here. Much longer than I think some of us aching for accountability would like them to. But Trump and his cronies keep losing. Mark Meadows being ordered to testify is so huge. He went down to Georgia separate from and in advance of Trump's call with Raffensperger. He was on the call when Trump orders Raffensperger to quote, find him 11,780 votes. He was a party to everything that went on to try to rig the counting in Georgia. Certainly. I mean, if you think of former President Trump's White House, he was, you call, you know, he had the title of chief of staff. He was also the president's right hand man when it comes to efforts, alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Let's remember that when people at Fox News and other places, um, right wing people who were supportive of, of former President Trump, when they were alarmed by on January 6th, it was Mark Meadows that they were texting to say, hey, even for us, this has gone too far. That tells you just how close he was to the president and the fact that he was. Yes. So this is huge. This is absolutely huge because nobody knows more than Mark Meadows except for Trump himself, in my mind. Another bit of detail on kind of the series of stories that uh, Trump is not going to be happy about is in a federal grand jury investigation, his former White House advisor, Stephen Miller, has testified. And apparently it's a pretty long testimony. Um, but here's that being reported here. Stephen Miller, Trump's White House senior advisor and speechwriter, testified today a grand a federal uh, testified today before a federal grand jury in the January 6th investigation. He is now the first known witness to testify since the Justice Department appointed a special counsel. So, Caitlin, you broke this story. Tell us more. Well, Stephen Miller has always been a very important and close advisor to Donald Trump in the White House at the end of the presidency, uh, after the election, and up to and including on January 6th, he was his speechwriter. And so what Miller would be able to talk to the grand jury about, what we know he's already talked to the separate House investigation about, is how Trump's speech came about on January 6th to his supporters, the crowd that eventually rioted at the Capitol, chanting, hang Mike Pence. And Okay, so that's two 
investigations where some bad news have come out. And then not directly into Trump, but still probably not the greatest news for him because this was very much done in his name. Oath Keepers founder uh, Stuart Rhodes has been found guilty of seditious conspiracy for his actions on January 6th. That is a very heavy um, thing to be convicted with. Founder of the far-right Oath Keepers group Stuart Rhodes and uh, co-defendant Kelly Meggs were convicted of seditious conspiracy and other charges related to the January 6, 2021 Capitol attack on Tuesday, the most serious charges any defendants have faced in the wake of the riot. Uh, three other co-defendants, Kenneth Harrelson, Jessica Watkins, and Thomas Caldwell, were acquitted on the seditious conspiracy charge, but found guilty of other crimes related to the January 6th attack. All five were convicted of obstructing an official proceeding of Congress. Megs and Watkins were also found guilty of conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, while the others were acquitted of that charge. Uh, Rhodes and Megs now face a maximum of 20 years in prison, and we will see what the sentencing uh, bears out. But seditious conspiracy is incredibly serious and it shows that yes the justice uh system is working in some of these cases you can't go and try to overthrow a democratic process with um the case of stuart rose it was really directly that also the other rioters were trying to prevent a lawful process from happening and in that sense wanting to take over kind of the uh governmental process but the oath keepers plan was legitimately as vile as you can get. And so seditious conspiracy is fitting and uh, a sign of justice. We now get to talk about one of my favorite interviews I've done with Trump supporters in the past. Of course, we're recapping some of these discussions I've had because um, you guys have particular interest with this. Um, and so before we watch this clip, but like I said, stick around, it's very, very fascinating. Let me kind of give you the groundwork, lay the foundation. So. Uh, this is May 2022. Someone asked if I could give you the date when I do these past interviews. Mm. And it's right when Dinesh D'Souza was about to release or already released that 2000 Mules movie. And that's what they were very concerned with. And so this, despite most interviews I do, stay pretty chill. And uh, it's not even that debatey. It's just kind of me hearing their views. And it tends to be pretty bonkers. This one, I decided I'm going to push back a little bit if they talk about the election being stolen. And this is what we got. With the best looking people at this event, what are you guys hoping to see here at the, uh, the speech? Uh, we're looking for anything that has to do with election fraud. Uh, we came to hear Dinesh and the new movie, 2000 Mules, how to avoid this going forward. My recommendation to your whole audience is everybody needs to take off some time in November. Let's get to every ballot location with video and start videotaping this so it doesn't happen again. Okay, what about you? And I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where obviously they had 1,100 mules. Um, I just wanted to ask Dinesh, what is it that we could do differently for the next mm -hmm. election? And obviously, you know, it's really nice to be around a lot of other patriots. So here's my question on that. When I hear people talk about this, I want to give it the time of day, but then you look at every official medium that you would make, you know, prove that the courts, all those things, well, courts, and it's not, it's and it's not like there's not even courts. people that Trump appointed. <laughs> so that's my favorite part, where they're talking about how it was all stolen, and I'm saying, but no place where you would prove that was it proven. Mm. And her response is, well, the courts are all corrupt, but what about the judges that were appointed by Trump? And instead of saying they're still corrupt, which just assert that if you're going to lie, just keep lying out, whatever. <laughs> um, she just goes, I don't know. It just turns to uh, the guy that she's with. And then you'll see in a few seconds here walks away. Question. So the thing is, we all know that it happens. So we, I don't know that, but What's that? I don't know that. Well, I need evidence to believe something like that. You already yeah, know. I know. So listen, it's, there's, how about this? Social media only seems to censor liberals because they never talk how great Biden is. 81 million people, I've yet to see anything pro-Biden. How about you? I think Biden's done good stuff. There's some pro-Biden stuff. Like what? American Rescue Plan, getting out of... The way I said that was confusing. What I was trying to say is he said, I've never seen anything pro-Biden. And I was like, I'll give you something pro-Biden. I like Biden. You know, He's done some good stuff. Um, not a wholesale endorsement, I'm saying. <laughs> he's done some good stuff, right? Um, and also some bad stuff. But that 
is such a strange response to why do you think the election was stolen if it hasn't been proven anywhere where you'd prove it? And his response is, well, how about this? <laughs> I don't see too many things on social media that are pro-Biden. Hmm. I think algorithms kind of make it that way sometimes for people who really like content that just tells them what they want to hear, right? Mm. Afghanistan, managing Inflation the Russia-Ukraine war. Taxes at its 40-year high, giving, giving baby formula to immigrants coming over the border, except the own, our own But on the, the baby formula thing, you do understand that that's like 0.001% of baby formula. Are you affected by the baby formula? I'm not, right. but if so they don't get it, their Americans babies starve. Are. If Americans here, they can find other ways to get it, but what they're about, stuck, on, detained. What about the Americans that are affected? Oh, and we need they, to help them as well, and that's what we're trying. I'm sure they're trying to do. An immigrant? Of course not. Okay. They're all and important. I like the fact that our tax money goes to the Ukraine, where it gets laundered back to these corrupt politicians, and the media media journals that are all liberal, much like yourself. You keep on spinning this. There's no escaping. He has done nothing right. But have a good day. You too. So, hmm. Just to quickly summarize the point that he was making, because it was kind of a story that was um was relevant in that time shortage on baby formula and the story came out that immigrants being detained at the southern border had gotten baby formula because they're detained and if their babies don't get it they're just gonna die because we are the only ones that get to choose if they get it if you're just a free citizen you can find other ways to make sure your kid gets fed mm. but um then also if you gave all of the stuff that was given to immigrants to America says it wouldn't have made a dent in the problem. It was a supply chain problem that was affecting a lot of people and that was the actual root cause that should be addressed. So it was just a waste of time and a way to stir up anger towards immigrants. But the 40 year high thing on taxes, taxes hadn't been raised at that point. And I don't know where <laughs> he's getting that from. Um, so very strange. And again, one of the things that's weird is I talk to a lot of Trump supporters who, whenever we're just chill and talking, they'll say, you know, I really wish that liberals could engage in conversations. I feel like liberals don't ever want to hear things that um, contradict with what they believe. But then in the moment when I actually do that and we share our views, we're supposed to have that open exchange of ideas, right? Mm. It gets really uncomfortable and they want to leave. Whereas I'm great to stand there as long as they like and go back and forth and hear what they have to say. The only unfair part, I'll admit, I just noticed there for the first time, even though I've seen this a bunch of times, um, is it is nice to be the one holding the microphone. Because <laughs> there was one part where he was talking and all you could hear was me talking. Um, but you know, I feel like I still give it to them often enough. Let them say what they gotta say. Very, very interesting country we live in. Do not forget if you're interested in the occasional tweet, I'm not an aggressive tweeter and I also <laughs> am not great at caring about Twitter, to be frank. <laughs> if you're wondering why I've never talked about it, never shouted it out and um, not sending out stuff that often, but I'm gonna try to get better. Why am I doing this now that Twitter seems to be dying? I don't know. Um, because the show has started growing on a lot of platforms mm. and I've gotten people asking when I go and check you out there, nothing's going on. It's going on now, okay, <laughs> sort of. So Luke P. Beasley, Luke P. Beasley, uh, check me out there as long as Twitter is still alive. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. It's been a fun one. We will see you tomorrow.